welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. I've been asked to read from Hebrews. This is part of the BRICS month, building relationships in Christ's kingdom. A couple of weeks ago, the focus was on prayer and fasting. Last week, the focus was on vision. And this week, the focus is on faith. When I asked Luke uh, what the Bible reading was, he says, well, Hebrews 11. And I said, well, which part of it? And he said, all of it. So I've been practicing. (laughs) Let's hear God's word, Hebrews chapter 11. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God." By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. 
Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, would they be made perfect. Amen, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, Jeff. You could tell he was practising. Very well read. Every Friday afternoon, a handful of us go to Officer Secondary College, and we mentor 20 young Year 9 boys. And they're boys with great potential, but they're also boys who've been identified as a great handful. And so you can read between the lines and all of that. But each week we go in there and we teach them different life skills. And this week we're talking about taking risks. Um, We did a fascinating exercise where we took the group of 20 and we split them into two teams. And we sent the two groups into two different rooms. And we gave them both uh, each a green card and a red card. And they had to go into the room and discuss it amongst themselves, and they had to decide which card they would come and present back to the group. And so one group would present one card, and the other 
group would present the other card. Now, the rules were pretty simple, that if both teams presented a green card, they would both receive a really big bag of lollies. If both teams presented a red card, they would both lose a bag of lollies, and they could go into negative, and they'd owe us lollies. But if one group presented a red card and the other group presented a green card, then the group with the red card could take a bag of lollies from the group with the green card. And so a pretty simple game with pretty simple rules. And so they went into two different rooms and we we're going to have five rounds of this game. Now, it just seemed to work out that, coincidentally, um, there was a naughty team and there was a nice team. And I don't know how, but I found myself in the room with the naughty team. And uh, it was really interesting to watch how they interacted when they were trying to make this decision about whether they present a green or a red card. Now, within the naughty team, there were a couple of nice kids. And so the nice kids said, well, why don't we just present the green card? And if they present the green card, we both get the lollies. But they were outnumbered by the naughty kids who said, well, we don't want them to get any lollies. Why don't we present the red card and then we could take their lollies as well? And so the nice team came back into the room and they both stood at the front and they revealed their cards. And the nice team had a green card and the naughty team had a red card. And so at the end of round one, the tally was uh, one bag of lollies for the nice team, and, uh, for the naughty team, and minus one bags of lollies for the nice team. I think I got that right. So the naughty team were one, the nice team were minus one. And so we went into round two. Now you can imagine what would have happened in round two, can't you? Both teams revealed their cards, and what do you think they revealed? They both revealed a red card. And so the tally at the end of round two was that the nice team had minus two bags of lollies, and the naughty team had zero. And so round three happens, and they go and they consult again, and they come back into the room, and the nice team, um, co uh, you know, according to their nature, came back with a nice decision, and they presented a green, a green card, but the naughty team, they presented a red card. And so at the end of round three, the naughty team had one bag of lollies, and the nice team had minus three bags of lollies. You can imagine what happened in round four, can't you? They both presented a red card. And so at the end of round four, um, the tally was the naughty team had no lollies and the nice team had minus four bags of lollies. Doesn't pay to be nice, does it? And so we came to round five and we just did one thing differently. Instead of uh, allowing the whole team to decide it, we asked them to choose a representative from each team. And so a representative from each team went into another room with two of us leaders and they had to negotiate together which card they were going to present. And so the naughty kid said, why don't we just present a green card, and if we both do that, we'll both get a bag of lollies. Now that's a good idea. Really good idea. And so they went back into the room, they had to consult with their team before the final decision, but they stood up to present in round five, and both of them revealed a green card. And so at the end of round five, the tally was that the naughty team had one bag of lollies, and the nice team had minus three bags of lollies. Now, the lesson to be learned really was this, that both teams at different times were unwilling to step out and take a risk. Neither of them were willing to put faith in each other that they'd do the right thing. And if they had have both stepped out in faith and taken a risk from round one through every round, both teams would have ended up with five massive bags of lollies. But as it turns out, they ended up with an accumulative amount of minus two together, which is not as good as five bags of lollies. You might understand that. Now, by the grace of God and our graciousness, we decided to let the nice team off so they didn't have to buy us three bags of lollies. And with a lot of negotiation, we convinced the naughty team to share their one bag of lollies with the nice team while we watched a movie. 
But the question they face is really the same question that Hebrews 11 challenges us with, and it's the question, are we going to be people who live by faith? And it's a challenging question, and it's a critical question. In verse 2, it says that this is what the ancients were commended for, and I think we can be commended for this as we get to the end of our lives as well, but it's a critical question to answer because of what verse 6 says. It says, without faith, it is, what is it? Difficult? A little bit hard? It's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. In the book of Hebrews, we come to the most famous chapter in all scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, when it comes to the topic of faith. And in this chapter, we see a group of very ordinary people who did extraordinary things because they lived by faith. Now, when I say they were ordinary people, I mean they were really ordinary people. I mean, King David gets a a mention in the list. He was the king of Israel at one stage in his life, and he was meant to go into the battlefield with his army. But instead of going into the battlefield, he stayed home in comfort. And while all the soldiers were gone, he took a wife of one of the soldiers and he slept with her. And instead of repenting of that and owning up, he actually sent word to the front of the battlefield and he said to his commander, I want you to put her husband on the front line where the battle's the fiercest so you can guarantee he's going to be killed. And he was. King David gets a mention in this chapter as a man who lived by faith. Rahab was a prostitute, a sexually immoral woman, uh, slept with many, many men, and yet she gets a mention as a woman who lived by faith. You've got Moses and Gideon, men who did extraordinary things for God, by faith, and yet when God chose both of them, instead of accepting what he'd called them to do, they both made every excuse under the sun as to why God was wrong and that he'd chosen the wrong man and maybe it was another Gideon or another Moses, but it certainly wasn't them. And yet they're mentioned in this chapter. God declares that they live by faith. And so we see some very ordinary people in this chapter, very, very ordinary people. Did they make mistakes? Yes. Did they have doubts and fears? Absolutely. But when you look at the sum total of their lives, God declares to us that when you look at the sum total of their lives, they are people that lived by faith. And I think that's very encouraging today. And I hope you're encouraged by that. And I think it's encouraging because when I look out on here today, I see a bunch of very ordinary people. And when you look up on the platform, you see a very, very ordinary pastor. And it's very encouraging because God works in the ordinary And he takes the ordinary and he uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary and the activation point is to be people who live by faith. Now today is a great chapter and I have no doubt that God's going to do extraordinary things through Follow Baptist Church as we commit ourselves to being people who live by faith. And I'm not going to cover all the characters in the chapter today. Um, You'll be relieved to know there's about 100 sermons in there. I'm not going to preach them all this morning. We've got lunch to get to, and it's Nick Rewalt's farewell game. So we've got important things to do this afternoon, and so we need to keep moving. But today, I really want to hone in on verse 1 of this chapter, because in this verse 1, we see a great definition. And I think it's important to, to focus in on that, because if we can understand what faith is and be a group of people who live by faith, I believe God could take the ordinary And he could do extraordinary things in and through our lives. And so in verse 1, we come to this definition. And it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's a great definition. I want to break it down into three parts today. And the first part is this, that faith is confidence in God. 
If we don't have confidence in God, we'll never step out in faith. And so faith, first of all, and most importantly, is confidence in God and who he is. There are some amazing verses of scripture in this chapter. But there's one verse, it's not one of the more popular ones, but for me, I really love it. It's verse 27. It's talking about Moses. And it says, Moses was a man who persevered because he saw him who's invisible. I love that. He's a man who persevered by faith because he saw the one who's invisible. I've been following on social media and in the newspapers recently the same-sex marriage debate that's been mentioned this morning and prayed about, and it's pretty nasty in politics, and it's even more nasty behind a keyboard on social media. And I've followed it recently, and let me say a couple of things about the debate before I get to what I really want to say. First thing I want to say is that I think it's important that as Christians we vote. I think we all have uh, a voice, and I think a Christian voice becomes part of the collective voice of a nation. And so don't avoid the vote. I think it's important that we um, actually vote in something like this. I also think it's important that we actually stand on God's word. And so whatever you vote, I want to encourage you to make sure that you're voting based on what you see in God's word. Uh, It's very easy to um, vote on what the culture says or what's trendy or whatever, but we are people who stand on the Word of God. And so I would encourage you to vote on what you see in God's Word. Now, when I look at God's Word, I I see a definition of marriage there. And my conviction is that marriage comes from God. It was authored by Him. It was designed by Him. And He created us male and female, and He created us biologically to fit together and to be in this beautiful relationship called marriage. And He says, you are to leave your father and mother and you're to become one flesh. And you're to go forth and you're to multiply. And so the definition of marriage for me doesn't come from a constitution. It doesn't come from our culture. It comes from the book of Genesis. And so for me, I'll be voting based on my convictions from God's word. The second thing I'll say about this debate is it's really important that whatever you decide, that when you engage with people on any issue, including this one, that you do so in a manner that would please Christ, that you don't forget who you represent. And so I've seen many Christians on social media particularly, and they might have some valid points, but they lose the battle because they're arrogant and rude and they see themselves as superior as everyone else. And there's no point even getting on social media and making any comment if you can't do it graciously and you can't do it in a way that represents Jesus. The third thing I'll say and the final thing is that if you're going to engage in these conversations, embrace yourself for abuse. Because it doesn't matter how politely or graciously you say something, there are a lot of people behind a keyboard, if they don't agree with you, it'll escalate really quickly. And so you're going to need a very thick skin and you're going to need to be willing to, to respond graciously even when that's not reciprocated. And I think that's really important as we engage with people. Now, I've noticed it myself, I've caught a fair bit of abuse in recent times and, and someone asked me recently, why do you bother? Why do you even engage with people on social media about controversial issues? And the reason I bother is because I think God's given us a platform and he's given us a voice. And when there's a whole lot of other voices, we have an opportunity to be salt and light into a world. And so I think whatever the issue is, if we do it graciously and kindly, we we should actually engage in conversation because you never know what's going to happen on the other side of a keyboard with someone who's watching that conversation. Perhaps something you say may just be used by God to change their heart and their life. And so I'd encourage you to engage, but brace yourself. Jesus says to pray, uh, to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. And I think it's really important that we do that. But one thing I've noticed in the debate, and this is what I really wanted to get to, is the complete disrespect and disregard of God by many people in our world. I've lost count 
with how many times in this particular debate where I've seen God referred to as the sky fairy, our imaginary friend. I lost count of the amount of times he's been compared to Santa Claus and Easter Bunny and the Bigfoot. Not that none of those are true if the kids are in here. But, but people compare him to some sort of fictional, mythical character that we believe in, and I think they struggle to understand why we would have any confidence in a God that they can't see. Now, I'm the opposite. I, I don't know how you can open your eyes and not see God. I'm going to see God everywhere. I look out the window and I see God in nature. I see God in the answer to prayer. I see God in my life. I see God in people. I see God in circumstances. I see him everywhere. I think you're almost going to be blind not to see him. But for them, they can't understand why we'd have confidence in a God we can't see. And so what's the difference between those that have put their faith in Christ and they understand God and trust him and those that don't? Well, the, the answer is simple. It's faith. We have seen the one who is invisible. And that doesn't make us any better than non-Christians. I think some Christians get this superiority complex that we're better because we put our faith in God and they didn't. It doesn't make us any better at all. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This faith is not from yourselves. This faith is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so we put our faith in Christ and that activates Christ's grace in our life through the cross. But the faith we put in Christ in the first place is itself a gift from God. And so we have nothing to boast about. Salvation is 100% God and a 0% us. We didn't find him, he found us. We didn't pursue him, he pursued us. And so the grace of God is extraordinary. And when we understand that, it should shape the way that we see other people who haven't put their faith in God. And it should move us away from arrogance and anger and it should shift us to intercession as we stand in the gap and pray for people who haven't seen the one who's invisible. This week, after an interaction on Facebook, I had an aggressive person calling me all sorts of names. And as I walked the dog praying, my heart broke for him. And I started to pray for this guy. I only know his name from Facebook. I've never met him before. But my heart started to break for this guy that he's so angry towards God, a God that he doesn't believe in. I started to pray. And you and I have got to be people that stand in the gap for our community and pray for people that haven't yet been given that gift of faith to understand who God is. When we're saved, God gives us the gift of faith so that we can access his grace, but we also have to exercise that faith in God in every other area of our lives. I believe that God wants us to be people that keep stretching into the uncomfortable spaces as we live as people by faith, fully reliant on God. And I think that's a really exciting kind of life to live. And I'm sorry if I'm the only person here today that's excited about it, but I think a life of faith um, is the most exciting life we can ever live because we step out into those zones and we need God to come through. It's living on the edge. It's trusting God. It's a step of faith. And I think that's incredibly exciting to live like that. And so in verse 1, we see this definition of faith. And if we're going to live by faith, the only way we can do it is if we understand who God is. And so in the first verse, we see this definition. In the second verse, it says that that's what the ancients were commended for. And then in verse 3, it links those things together by describing who God is. In verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made from what is visible. Right there is the foundation of faith. That we understand by faith that God from absolutely nothing created everything we see. 
That's an incredible God right there. And if God created all things and if he sustains all things, then what's impossible for our God? Nothing. One person got the answer right. Nothing is impossible for our God. If God can do all things, then nothing's impossible for him. Then surely that should activate faith in our hearts and in our lives. This is the foundation of our faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Some people here today are too young, but many would remember a, a movie called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. All the older people are nodding their heads saying, yeah, that's my favourite. Um, you'll remember that movie and you might even remember a scene in it when Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, comes to a, a cliff with a massive drop. And this big drop is called the Lion's Head and he looks over and he's got to get to the other side of the ledge, but it's way too far for anyone to jump. And so he's got this little manual with him and he reads in it these words. It says, only in the leap from the lion's head will he prove his worth. And so he stands there on the edge and he looks at this leap and he says out loud, it's impossible. Nobody can jump this. And then he thinks about it and he has one of those aha moments and he goes out loud again. He says, it's a leap of faith. At the same time, it flashes to his dying father who he's trying to save. And he says, you must believe, son. You must believe. And so he closes his eyes and he goes to the edge of the cliff and he steps out. And as he steps out, all of a sudden a bridge he couldn't see before becomes visible. And even though it's skinny and, and risky and scary and dangerous, it actually takes him from one side of the lion's head to the other. And I think that's a very helpful scene when it comes to our understanding of faith and what it's like. We too have been given the Bible, God's manual for life and for faith, and it encourages us to put our confidence in God. But as we step out, it's still scary. It's still risky. It can even be dangerous. But faith is confidence in God in every circumstance we face. And so the question is today, what are the circumstances in your life right now that you need to have confidence in God? What are the areas where you struggle to see a way forward? What are the issues that have caused you to lose confidence in different areas of your life? When Kim and I stepped out to plant Follow Baptist Church, it was risky and it was scary and it was dangerous. Have a look around. Very dangerous endeavour. And we had all sorts of questions in our head before we stepped out. Things like, will anybody come? I think God's answered that question. Um, will we survive? How will we feed our, our family? Will we have any impact in our community? And then the very practical things. How on earth do you run a church? How do you lead a church? What does a church look like? And so we had to step up to the edge of the cliff. We believe God was calling us to do it. And a little bit like Indiana Jones, we closed our eyes and we prayed and we stepped out and we realised that God was there. And then we prayed again and we stepped out. And God was there. And then we prayed again and we stepped out and God was there. And over the last couple of years, there's been step after step after step. And each time God has proven himself to be faithful and he's shown himself to be a God who we can put our confidence in. And I think this is the kind of life that God calls each of us to. A life where we continually take steps of faith to use our lives for the glory of God. In Psalm verse 37, chapter 37, verse 23 it says, the Lord makes firm the steps of one, the one who delights in him. In the older versions of the NIV, it says, the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. 
And I love that. The steps of the righteous person are ordered by the Lord. It doesn't say that God will give you a blueprint for your life and future. If you take this step, God will show you how it's going to work out and it's all going to be rosy. No, no, it says the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And so we take a step in obedience and as we do, God shows us the next step. Then we take a step in obedience and he shows us the next step. Why doesn't he show us the whole picture? Well, perhaps because if he did, we'd never step out in the first place. And so he just shows us the next step. And so we step out and we trust God again and then we step out again. And in verse 24, that same psalm says, Though we may stumble, we will not fall, for the Lord upholds us with his hand. God is a God that we can have confidence in. As we look at the many characters in this chapter, they are all commended as people who live by faith and they live by faith because they had confidence in God. Faith is confidence not in ourselves, but it's confidence in God. So the first thing is that faith is confidence in God. Secondly, faith is confidence in what we hope for. I wonder what you're hoping for in life. Perhaps you're hoping for a strong family. That's a good thing to hope for. Maybe you're hoping for a good job or a successful career, a big bank account, an early retirement, a world trip, a nice house, a fancy car. Or are you hoping for things that are more eternal than that? You might say, well, Luke, that's a silly question. I'm a Christian. Of course, my hope is, is ultimately eternal stuff. But let me ask you a diagnostic question. What is it that you think about most? What is it you talk about most? What keeps you up at night? What wakes you up in the morning? I think the answer to those questions will likely reveal what you're truly hoping for. Here's a couple of things I've been thinking about this week when it comes to faith. The first one is a thought that I had a number of years ago, which may sound very discouraging, but for me it's helped me to think more eternally than ever before. And this is a thought that, that I got hit with a few years ago. I think God hit me with it. But the thought was this, that no matter how good this life is, it's ultimately going to be a disappointment. No matter how good this life is, it's ultimately going to be a disappointment. you feel encouraged today? It's great news, isn't it? It's ultimately going to be a disappointment. I'll tell you why. Because God has set eternity in the hearts of men and we're created for so much more than this. And aren't you grateful about that? Watch the news tonight and say, is this what I'm created for? Or is God prepared something so much better than this? Because I hope, I hope like nothing else, I believe like nothing else that we're created for something so much greater than what we're currently experiencing. And no doubt there are some amazing moments in life that we could and that we should enjoy. God has been so gracious to us and he provides so many incredible moments in our lives. But have you ever noticed that those moments are fleeting? If I try and manufacture that moment again tomorrow, it just won't be the same. And even if I could, day after day after day, it wouldn't be long until I was bored stiff of it. You see, those moments, they're fleeting. And I think they're fleeting because they're a little fleeting glimpse of what eternity will be like when we have endless joy, endless fulfilment in God's presence. How many famous people do you know, or even just regular people, that when you look at their lives, you would say they have everything they need to be happy. They have popularity, they have success, fame, fortune, and yet they're miserable, unhappy. Many of them have taken their own lives. Why? How could they possibly do that when they've got everything we need? Well, I think the reason is because their hope was in the things of this world. And when they got it all, when they had everything you could ever have that this world can offer, it was still ultimately disappointing. That thought led to my second thought, that perhaps the bedrock of true faith is dissatisfaction. And perhaps the biggest enemy to faith is comfort. Let me say that again. Perhaps the bedrock of faith is dissatisfaction with this world 
And perhaps the greatest enemy to true faith is comfort. In verse 13, it says all these people, Abel, not that Abel, a different one, and Noah and Abraham were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them. It's what they hoped for. And they welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Do you ever feel like a stranger here on earth? People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. That word looking is a Greek word. It means searching intensively. It's demanding, craving for, desiring, inquiring, seeking after. They're looking, they're desiring, they're craving a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, instead they were longing. It's another Greek word. It means stretching out. It means reaching out after, coveting, desiring. They are longing for a better country, dash a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. My question to each of us today is this. Are you longing for that eternal future? The Apostle Paul says to live is Christ. What's he saying? That here, while I'm breathing God's breath, while I'm here on earth, Every part of my life, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to lay my life down for Christ. To live is, to Christ, is Christ. But then he goes on, he says, but to die is gain. What an eternal perspective that is. To live is Christ. To die is gain. The hope we have as Christians is incredible. Even death is not an enemy. It's just a transition to something better than what we're experiencing now. Paul had ultimate confidence in the things he hoped for, and they were on the other side of eternity. The devil's greatest tool is comfort. If we're too comfortable in this life, we'll never long for something more than this. We won't ever lift our eyes above the things of this world that are so temporary and long for a future that's eternal. Let me tell you, if if we're longing for only things of this life, that is a pathetic substitute for what God's prepared for us. In In 1 Corinthians it says, God has prepared what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has even conceived. These are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. And so what are we hoping for as individuals? What are we hoping for as families? What are we hoping for as a church? Today we showed a vision video And you saw some of the things that we're hoping for. We're hoping to see people saved. We're hoping to see a community impacted and transformed. In the southeast region of Melbourne, we're hoping to plant churches, send missionaries, see people discipled. We're hoping to build a building for worship, discipleship and mission. It's not only going to take vision, but faith, not only faith, but sacrifice. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But all these hopes that we have here in this life are really overarched by an ultimate hope. And the ultimate hope is that, that we and, and many people we love and know will spend eternity in the presence of God. This is what we're created for and this is what we have been promised. This is what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden before they decided to do things their own way. They walked and talked in the garden. They had this incredible, unblemished relationship with each other. They had an unbroken relationship with God. It was literally paradise on earth until they decided that they'd do their own thing, that they'd sin and rebel against God. And as they did that, this big obstacle of sin became between them and a holy God. You and I in Christ have the hope that that sin obstacle can be removed, that Jesus Christ 
on the cross, died in our place for the sins we've committed. And he took your sin and my sin upon himself and he stretched out his hands as he died and he said, it's finished. And if we put our faith in Christ, that obstacle of sin is removed and we can once again come back into relationship with a God who's holy and perfect in every way. And we can have the hope that we're going to spend eternity with him. Jesus says, the Bible says that when Christ returns in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be made like him. This is our hope. And what we hope for the most will profoundly shape how we live our lives. Faith is confidence in God. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And finally, faith is assurance of what we don't see. I think we find it difficult to have assurance in the things that we can't see. Our hope, if we're honest with ourselves, is most often placed in the things that we can see, in our jobs, in our careers, in the roof over our head, in the food in the fridge, our family, business, money. If we've got all those things, we think, well, we can have assurance in life, and if we've got all those things, then we'll be okay. And because that's where we get our security from and our comfort from, we're often reluctant to part with those things. Instead of being open-handed, we become tight-fisted, and we lack generosity because we falsely believe that what we have is ours. You hear many people say, well, I'm a self-made man and I've made my money and I've raised my family and I've built my reputation. And the question I would ask a person like that is how? You've done it because probably you were born into a privileged country for a start. That's a gift of God. Every skill you've got, every ability you've got, everything you've been able to do has come because God's gifted you with those things. He's made the resources available to make all those things possible in your life. You can't even take the next breath without him. I want you to breathe in today. Breathe out. Breathe in again. Breathe out. It's a gift of God. Without him, you can't do another one. When you have an understanding of that, you'll realise that nothing we have is our own and everything we've been blessed with that we can see has been entrusted to us so that we can invest in what we can't. Every talent, every ability, every dollar, every moment that God provides is an opportunity to invest in something eternal. In our culture, in the modern day Western world, we are abundantly comfortable. The things we think we need are in reality things that we really just want. Most of the rest of the world could only dream of the things we see as necessities. And yet we're conditioned to think that the things we see are the things we can gain assurance from. I wonder what would happen if we lost those things. Would we still persevere in our faith? Would we still have confidence in God? Would we still have confidence in the things we hope for? In this passage, we have the example of people who were commended for their faith and they were far from comfortable. What they were was faithful. In verse 35, it says, Some were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains. They lived in caves and in holes in the ground. They had absolutely nothing. These people had to put their faith in God because if they put their faith in what they couldn't see, sorry, these people had to put their faith in what they couldn't see because when it came to what they could see, they had absolutely nothing. Their faith wasn't in the things they could see. They couldn't put faith in the things of this life, but the next. 
and they had confidence not in themselves but in God. That's incredible faith. Incredible faith. The thing I get encouraged by today is this, that God's story is not finished. We have the, the canon of Scripture and we have these stories of these faithful people and we can read about their lives and we can be encouraged and we can be inspired. But the canon of Scripture is closed. But God's story continues. History is his story. And you and I are part of his great redemptive plan for all of creation. And I wonder if we were to look back at God's story about our lives in years to come, what would it say about you? What would it say about me? Because one day we're going to stand before God, at the end of our lives, and he's not going to say, well done, good and comfortable servant. He's going to greet his people who have lived by faith with the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy what I've prepared for you. In verse 39, we see that these men and women were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The hope they had is the same hope that we have. The future they longed for is the same future that we long for. The day Jesus returns will be the most magnificent day in human history, and we will be with these characters And we will enjoy what they enjoy and together we'll be made perfect and we can be part of it. How? By faith. By faith. We are all part of the same story. We're intertwined with these people we read about in Hebrews. And it's all because of faith. We're all part of God's story. Your story is not finished yet. My story is not finished yet. But I'm really excited about the chapters that are yet to be written. Can I plead with you today? to make those chapters count for eternity. Can I plead with you today not to put your hope in the things of this world, but to lift your eyes to the things that are eternal. I want to challenge you this morning to consider your own life. Is it comfortable or is it faithful? Because I really think that most Christians and most churches spend most of their time just living in the comfort zone. God wants us to stretch out of the comfort zone into the faith zone. That's where we see the extraordinary. That's where we see God do the miraculous. That's where we have the greatest impact when we step out of the comfort zone into the faith zone. I call it the wow zone. Go, wow, God, you're incredible. The way you come through in our lives is just phenomenal. You know, I think if we were to be a church for the next couple of decades that just lived in the comfort zone, I think our community would look at us and go, why do we need another boring, irrelevant church? But if we were to be people that would stretch out in faith and trust in the God that we say we believe in, And I think people would look at us and go, wow, there's something going on there. Maybe the God they say they believe in is actually real. Maybe people would be convinced that God is worth seeking for themselves. But you know what? Faith requires action. The book of James says, faith without deeds is dead. Matt Chandler says, faith never twiddles its thumbs. I love that. Faith never is is just stagnant. It's always active. And when you look at verse 33, you see what some of these ordinary people achieved by faith. It says that through faith they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. These were ordinary people. If this is what ordinary people did, what will our stories read one day? I wonder, it's exciting to think about, isn't it? This all happened through the lives of ordinary people. I wonder what he could do through ours. What areas is God challenging you today to step out in faith? Faith is confidence in what we hope for. 
and it's assurance about what we do not see. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. I pray this every week, but it challenges us, it inspires us, it changes us. I pray that we'd never just be hearers of the word, but we'd be doers of it. And today we're challenged in this area of faith. Lord, I pray that you would give us a dissatisfaction with this world, that our hope wouldn't be in the things of this life, but our hope would be things that are eternal. Lord, I pray that we'd be guided by your word, that we'd live by your word, and I pray that you would use a bunch of ordinary people who fall short in so many ways By your grace, I pray that you'd use us to do extraordinary things by faith, that we would look back in decades to come and say, wow, God is good. Lord, I know that we can have faith, not because we're anything special, but because we serve an extraordinary God. And so I pray today that our confidence would be in you in everything we do, in every area of our lives, in every area of our faith, in our local community, in our church. Lord, I pray that our story would one day read that we are people who lived by faith. Lord, help us with this. We know we have doubts, we have fears, we have struggles, we have sin. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, you have saved us from those things. You have filled us with joy and a hope for the future. And so I pray that we would fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we do that, that you would help us to persevere by being people who live by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.